A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on a whim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. With Capella University's FlexPath format, you can set your own deadlines, learn at your pace, and access most coursework from anywhere at any time. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. It was challenging enough to run a successful business in the 1980s when unemployment in America was at its highest since the Great Depression. It took every ounce of skill and knowledge a person had to get ahead in most industries. This was even more difficult if you were a woman. To set the scene, in the 1980s, there were no women in top executive positions of the Fortune 500 companies. Only a small percentage held management roles of any kind. And then there was Leona Helmsley, a woman determined to overcome her humble beginnings. She charmed, schmoozed, and hustled her way to the top of New York's real estate industry. And when that didn't work, she used brute force. She was accused by a number of associates of strong arming them to get what she wanted. She demanded perfection and obedience from her staff and would not hesitate to call an employee out for his or her faults, whether or not those faults were real or of Leona's imagination. They called her the Queen of Mean. Little did she know, she was about to be dethroned. Picture a murderer, a gangster, a thief. Did you picture a woman? We didn't think so. Society associates men with dangerous crimes. But what happens when the perpetrator is female? Every Wednesday, we examine the psychology, motivations, and atrocities of female criminals. Hi, I'm Sammy Nye. And I'm Vanessa Richardson. And you're listening to Female Criminals on the Parcast Network. This week, we're continuing our discussion of real estate magnate Leona Helmsley, aka the Queen of Mean. In 1989, she was convicted of 33 counts of tax fraud and sent to a federal prison. At Parcast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. We also now have merchandise. Head to parcast.com slash merch for more information. Last week, we followed Leona Helmsley's rise to the top of New York society's elite through her own business savvy and her marriage to business tycoon Harry Helmsley. We also explained how Leona's insatiable hunger for power and prestige helped her grow the Helmsley's personal estate to a net worth of over $6 billion. With that money, she gave Harry and herself the most extravagant, luxurious life possible. 
Leona also helped Harry acquire several major properties, such as the Empire State Building. This escalated his business worth and secured them both places in New York's real estate history. However, Leona's craving for superiority and status drove her to engage in unscrupulous business practices that eventually caught the attention of the IRS. This week, we'll take you through the events preceding her tax fraud trial, the trial itself, and what fate awaited Leona after sentencing. In late 1985, the New York Post ran an article outlining the couple's illegal business practices, quoting former Helmsley employees and contractors. One contractor in particular accused Leona of forcing him to sign forged invoices so that she could write off personal home renovations as part of her real estate business expenses. This publicity brought Leona and Harry to the attention of both the Internal Revenue Service and the United States Attorney for the Southern District of New York, Rudy Giuliani. The couple was indicted in April of 1988. The official indictment included 188 total charges for tax fraud, conspiracy to commit fraud, attempt to evade personal taxes, extortion, and more. Leona and Harry's legal team pushed hard for their trial to be postponed. Harry, who had just turned 79 years old, had many health problems that affected him daily. His staff reported that he had trouble moving on his own, and his memory and reasoning skills were deteriorating. In addition, he suffered a stroke not long after their fraud charges were announced. After that, Harry struggled with speech and required the use of a wheelchair. Unfortunately, Harry never regained full mental capacity. Those complications, in conjunction with a heart condition, led the court to re-examine whether or not Harry was fit to stand trial. After a series of psychological and medical evaluations, the judge decided that Harry did not have the competency to adequately communicate with his defense counsel, nor did he have the ability to understand and process information during the trial. Therefore, Harry's charges were dropped, leaving Leona to face all 188 charges alone. Her trial began in June of 1989. The media delighted in reporting the story, taking the chance to knock the queen of mean down a peg. Their coverage painted Leona as the poster child for greed and excess. Several papers used headlines like, Off with the Queen's Head. Her defense team, led by Gerald Pfeffer, encouraged her to keep a stoic front. But Leona felt no reason to humble herself during the proceedings, adamantly maintaining her innocence. She wore her customary high-end designer clothes to the courthouse each day, from an elaborate pink-and-white candy-striped pantsuit to an all-white tailor-made blazer. It's possible that Leona was convinced her power and wealth would bring her immunity from punishment. She was likely using a number of psychological defense mechanisms to prevent herself from feeling guilty over her behavior. Vanessa's going to take over on the psychology here and throughout the episode. Please note, Vanessa is not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but she has done a lot of research for this show. Thanks, Sammy. Compartmentalization is one of the most common psychological defense mechanisms. Psychologist John M. Grohl described compartmentalization as a person's ability to separate part of themselves from awareness of other parts. 
He elaborated by saying, people who compartmentalize certain parts of their lives are behaving as if they had separate sets of values. Dr. Grohl even referenced in his analysis a person failing to recognize the wrong in cheating on their income taxes because they weren't hurting anyone as an example of compartmentalization. In the same way, it was likely that Leona used the mental defense mechanism of compartmentalization to protect herself from feeling guilt over her deplorable behavior towards people in her life. It wasn't personal, it was business, and she was a shrewd businesswoman. During the trial, Assistant U.S. Attorney James DeVita called witness after witness to testify to her volatile personality and unscrupulous business practices. Leona remained silent through it all. She glared at the jury and ignored the witnesses on the stand. DeVita's star witness, Jeremiah McCarthy, was the chief engineer for the Helmsleys. He was responsible for alerting the government to the couple's tax fraud. When McCarthy went into detail about Leona's demands for him to sign a stack of falsified invoices, she appeared outraged, though remained silent. She stared icily at McCarthy as he described how Leona fired him on multiple occasions, only for Harry to come back with an apology and a new contract. She'd terminated him for a myriad of reasons in the past, when he was unable to adapt to her last-minute timeline changes, or when a project just didn't go her way. But McCarthy described her insistence that he knowingly commit fraud by signing forged invoices as the final straw. When he pushed back and she fired him, McCarthy decided he had to act. Someone had to stand up to the bully. Throughout the 10-week trial, DeVita called current and former Helmsley employees to decimate Leona's character. Her abuses were made public, and in the end, many experts felt her unremorseful behavior during the testimonies made it difficult for the jury to find sympathy for the 69-year-old socialite. On August 30, 1989, the jury found Leona guilty of 33 of the 188 original charges. The convictions included three counts of tax evasion, three counts of filing false personal tax returns, and one count of conspiracy to defraud the United States. She was also found guilty of 10 counts of mail fraud and 16 counts of assisting in the filing of false corporate and partnership tax returns. For these crimes, she faced 16 years in prison. Hearing this, Leona's stone-cold exterior melted. She began to weep and plead with the court. She tried to garner sympathy by explaining how much she and Harry had suffered during the trial, stating they couldn't go out to dinner or even step out onto the sidewalk without being harassed. In a hoarse, broken voice, she told the judge, quote, I feel as though I'm in the middle of a nightmare. Some found it odd for a known bully like Leona to show such vulnerability. However, a study conducted by Dr. Gordon Neufeld suggests that bullies are often highly sensitive people. Dr. Neufeld described bullies as people who were emotionally vulnerable early in life, but due to their circumstances or life experiences, their emotional systems were compromised. In many cases, bullies experience too much pain, hardship, or were bullied themselves, and, as a result, they closed themselves off from deeper feelings of empathy and compassion. They hardened their hearts. 
As a vain person growing up with modest means, Leona's ego probably took repeated blows throughout adolescence, making her into the bully everyone came to know. In the aggressive field of corporate real estate, her bullish nature would have served her, reinforcing those behaviors. Now, with her entire reputation on the line, a part of Leona's emotional system was reactivated, causing her to seek mercy. But she wasn't focused solely on protecting herself. Leona insisted that she couldn't go to prison because Harry relied on her too much. She said, quote, He has nobody in the world that can care and love him the way I do. He has no family at all. All he's got is me. But prosecutor James DeVita countered Leona's pleas for mercy by saying, quote, Harry, more than anyone else, had the opportunity to see these crimes were not committed, and he didn't do it. The judge agreed, unmoved by Leona's show of emotion. He said it was his job to carry out justice. He scolded her behavior, saying she had committed fraud deliberately and showed no remorse for her crimes. Dr. Margellis Felstead does a good job of distinguishing between regret and remorse. She defines regret as the feeling of wishing you had not taken a particular action. She says people with narcissistic tendencies absolutely can feel regret, but it may not be regret for the other person involved in the specific scenario. In other words, they regret the way certain actions or decisions made themselves feel, instead of how they affected the other party. Dr. Felstead says that remorse is more about admitting one's mistakes and role in another person's feelings. It requires a person to take a certain level of responsibility for the consequences of their actions. She believes it is much less likely that a person with narcissistic tendencies would experience feelings of remorse. Ultimately, Leona regretted that her actions led to her being sentenced to prison, but she felt no remorse for having done the actions in the first place. And now, she had 16 years to ruminate over the consequences. Coming up, we'll see how Leona tried to mitigate her sentence. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to the story. On August 30, 1989, 69-year-old Leona Helmsley was found guilty on 33 counts of various types of fraud and tax evasion. For her crimes, she was sentenced to 16 years in a federal prison. Leona was shocked by this smack of reality. She remained in the courtroom for an hour after the sentence was read to confer with her legal team. She wanted to know what their next steps were to get the sentence overturned. For a woman of Leona's notoriety and stature, she felt the consequences were unacceptable. 
She would be 85 years old when she got out of prison, assuming she lived that long. As she was being escorted from the courtroom, she was approached by the press. Through tears, she said she was, quote, more humiliated and ashamed than anybody could ever imagine. The stress of the proceedings became too much for her. Leona fainted on the courthouse steps and was rushed to the New York Hospital Cornell Medical Center. Her doctors concluded that the stress of the verdict aggravated her irregular heartbeat and hypertension. She was ultimately fine, but needed a few days to rest and recover. Once back on her feet, Leona hired attorney Alan Dershowitz to represent her during the appeal. He was already an established lawyer to the rich and famous, having represented both Patricia Hearst and Jim Baker. Later in his career, Dershowitz would also serve on O.J. Simpson's legal dream team with Johnny Cochran. If Leona was humbled by the guilty verdict, it didn't seem to impact her behavior. One morning, while reviewing her case at a cafe in a Helmsley hotel, Leona showed Dershowitz the truth behind her nickname, the Queen of Mean. When their drinks came, Dershowitz's teacup and saucer were dotted with water spots. When Leona noticed the mistake, it sent her into a rage. Dershowitz recalled that she smashed the china and screamed at the waiter for not checking the dishware before bringing it to them. She then made him beg to keep his job, which he begrudgingly did. This is another insight into how important appearances and impressions were to Leona. Dershowitz was a business associate, a man she respected and whom she wanted to be respected by. Everything had to be perfect, or at least appear that way, or it reflected poorly on Leona. When the appearances didn't meet her standard, she made a show of authority to assert her control and projected her insecurities outward in the form of anger. She likely struggled with what Dr. Paul Hewitt called perfectionistic self-presentation, or the desire to present oneself as perfect. Leona viewed imperfections and vulnerability as signs of weakness, so she did everything she could to maintain her power. She also engaged in all of the behaviors Dr. Hewitt associated with perfectionistic self-presentation, including, quote, advertising her own perfection, avoiding situations in which she might appear to be imperfect, and failing to disclose situations in which she had been imperfect. Outside of the China-smashing anecdote, Alan Dershowitz never pointed these behaviors out, only ever referring to Leona as one of his more interesting clients. Whatever his true opinion of her, he argued to the best of his abilities to reduce her sentence. He insisted that Leona's team of personal and business accountants had a professional responsibility to monitor the Helmsley financials and failed to do so. Because of this, Dershowitz was able to get 25 of her 33 charges dropped. On December 30, 1989, the judge reduced her sentence from 16 years in federal prison to four. In addition to prison, Leona was ordered to serve 750 hours of community service and pay $7.75 million in penalties, nearly $16 million today. The judge seemed to have a sense of humor about Leona's situation. He ordered her to report for her sentence on April 15, 1992, tax day. In the months between her sentencing and incarceration, Leona remained largely out of the public eye, staying at home with Harry. 
Private employees of the Helmsley residence said she took care of everything for him, seeing to his meals, grooming, and general well-being. She focused all her attention and energy on her husband. Whether it was out of love for him or the distraction his care provided is unclear. Though Harry's stroke had cost him a significant amount of independence, he seemed content to rely on Leona for help, much like he had with his businesses. When Leona wasn't focused on Harry, she was working with staff to prepare them to care for him in her absence. Many commented that Leona's behavior was as if she was going off for a long vacation instead of leaving to serve several years in prison. Whenever she spoke about preparations for her absence, she was careful to casually phrase her prison time as going away. Leona was exhibiting classic signs of denial, which the Mayo Clinic defines as a person's inability to acknowledge that something is wrong or cope with something which threatens that person's sense of control. The Mayo Clinic also states that people are most likely to rely on denial when they are facing difficult situations, can't come to terms with the facts surrounding a personal problem, or trying to downplay the consequences of their actions. This is a continuation of the same behavior she displayed during her trial, when she didn't believe there was any chance she would be found guilty. Now that it had come to pass, she couldn't face the reality of the situation. Making the situation worse, Harry's health had continued to deteriorate. Her lawyer, Alan Dershowitz, said, quote, It was really difficult for her because her husband was dying and she was about to go to prison. However, early in the morning on April 15, 1992, 71-year-old Leona boarded her private plane in New York with her niece, Frances Becker, who had sat through the entirety of her aunt's trial. Leona left behind the bright lights of Manhattan, to surrender herself to a minimum security facility in Lexington, Kentucky, surrounded by cattle fields and tobacco farms. Before she was taken to the general population, she broke down in tears and clutched her niece. According to sources at the prison, she kept saying, quote, I'll do what I have to do to get back to Harry and to get on with my life. The first night Leona was in prison, Harry Helmsley ordered the Empire State Building to go dark in a show of solidarity with his wife. Leona was now officially one of the over 1,000 inmates at the Federal Medical Center in Kentucky, a penitentiary that specialized in hospitalization and medical care for female prisoners. In prison, her wealth and status meant nothing. To the guards, she was just another criminal to monitor. To the other inmates, she was the new woman on the block. At the Federal Medical Center, Leona didn't have a private penthouse to call home, nor did she have servants to boss around. Instead, she shared a 32-person dormitory-style living area. Her low seniority in the prison population meant that, despite her age, she was assigned the top bunk of one of the dorm's bunk beds. She also had to share the communal showers with the other female inmates on her block. And she was expected to work. As was mandatory for all prisoners, Leona went through a medical evaluation to determine if she was fit enough to be assigned to a prison job. After she was deemed healthy enough to work, Leona was assigned janitorial duty. The woman who spent most of her adult life in luxury and extravagance 
was now responsible for cleaning up other people's messes. However, it didn't take long for Leona to figure out how to work the prison system to her advantage. Guards reported that she would often use her small prison salary of less than $1 an hour to pay other inmates to complete her work duties and keep her bunk clean. The guards didn't stop the behavior because it wasn't hurting anyone, and they didn't feel Leona was the type of prisoner to learn from having to do the work anyway. In their minds, she was always going to view herself as superior, and mopping the cafeteria or cleaning the bathrooms wouldn't change that. Leona wasn't lazy. She'd worked her way to the top of New York's real estate business, but her superiority complex would not allow her to do work she viewed as menial. Still, aside from paying off other prisoners to do her work duty, she made sure to keep her head down and stay out of any serious trouble. She was cordial to the guards and kept to herself among the other inmates. In short, she was a model prisoner. During her time at Federal Medical Center, the press interviewed people from the small towns closest to the facility to get their reactions to having a New York celebrity in their area. Most of the locals didn't seem to know or care who Leona was. Those who did seemed unimpressed. A local mechanic told the New York Times, quote, to me, she's just another rich woman in jail. Because she kept such a low profile, the press eventually went away. The rest of Leona's sentence was spent without anything remarkable happening. She was eligible for parole on August 13, 1993, and she wasted no opportunity to apply. The board agreed that justice had been served, and Leona was released from prison on January 26, 1994, after serving only 19 months of her original 16-year sentence. Because time moves quickly in the world of New York society, and Leona had been out of the spotlight for about a year, nobody seemed to pay much attention to the fact that the aging socialite served significantly less time than she was expected to. After her release, Leona returned home to the now 85-year-old Harry in the penthouse of the Helmsley Palace Hotel. Leona once again focused all her energy on taking care of her husband, and the couple lived in near isolation, only allowing family and close friends regular visits. It was likely that Leona withdrew from socialization because she couldn't face the judgments she expected other people to have about her. To someone whose image was everything, the possibility of facing potential criticism was enough to make her a recluse. Therefore, her days after prison were spent mostly caring for Harry and avoiding the spotlight, a true contrast from the lifestyle that landed her behind bars. On January 4, 1997, nearly three years after Leona was released, Harry passed away in Scottsdale, Arizona, where the couple occasionally spent time so that Leona could perform her community service in a warmer climate. He was just a few months shy of his 88th birthday, he left Leona his entire estate. When asked for her comment on her husband's death, Leona only said sadly, quote, My fairy tale is over. She ordered the Empire State Building, which she now owned, go dark in mourning for Harry, just as he had it ordered to go dark for her on her first day in prison. In addition, Harry left Leona Dunellen Hall, all the hotels, and the rental properties. In all, 
the inherited properties totaled over $5 billion. However, Leona's legal team informed her she would have to give up control of the hotels, as New York state law prohibited former felons from owning property where alcohol is sold. At first, she resisted. After all, in her mind, she had built all of the hotel properties up to what they were. She put her touches on everything, from the selection of the decor to staffing. However, Harry's passing and her time in prison had taken much of the fight out of the now 77-year-old woman. She eventually transferred power to the estate's executive board. She had no decision-making power, but she would still receive her share of the hotel's profits. With no business to run and few friends left that she trusted, Leona made a permanent move a few blocks uptown to the penthouse at the Park Lane Hotel property where she could be left alone. She and her Maltese dog, Trouble, spent most of their time there in solitude. Leona's reputation as the Queen of Mean never left her. Despite her infrequent public interactions and the many charitable donations she made later in life, it's unclear whether Leona always planned to be generous with her fortune later in life or if her prison experiences changed her. Whatever her motivation, she donated over $30 million to causes, including building a new surgical wing at New York Presbyterian Hospital and establishing a fund to support the families of New York first responders after 9 11. However, shortly after the attacks, when Rudy Giuliani, then the mayor of New York, was being hailed as a hero for his composure during the attacks, the city lost much of its appeal to Leona. It was as if, when the towers came down, the New York she had thrived in was crumbling as well. She and Trouble moved permanently to Dunellen Hall. Leona spent the rest of her days at the Connecticut property, trying to keep out of the spotlight. She died of congestive heart failure on August 20, 2007, at the age of 87. She was laid to rest next to Harry, in an extravagant $1.4 million private mausoleum she had erected before his death. The mausoleum is located in Sleepy Hollow Cemetery in Westchester County, New York, the same cemetery where the Astors, the Carnegies, and the Chryslers were interned. In her will, Leona arranged for $4 billion of her estate to benefit the Leona M. and Harry B. Helmsley Charitable Trust, which she founded in Harry's memory in 1999 to support many of the couple's charitable organizations. The trust also helped fund medical research, natural conservation, social services, education, and more. But in true Leona fashion, the rest of her will was nothing short of extravagant. The largest beneficiary of her billion-dollar estate would be her dog, Trouble. Coming up, Leona's dependents fight to reclaim their inheritance from a canine companion. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Whether you're making a delicious family meal or a post-workout snack, choose the farm-fresh taste of Eggland's Best Eggs. Only Eggland's Best Hens are fed their proprietary all-vegetarian feed. 
That's what makes their eggs more nutritious. With 10 times more vitamin E, 25% less saturated fat, and six times more vitamin D compared to ordinary eggs. Eggland's best. Better taste, better nutrition, better eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com to learn more. Now back to the story. On August 20th, 2007, Leona Helmsley died at the age of 87. Her surviving relatives were shocked by the decisions laid out in her will on how to divide her estate. Most notably, how much money she was leaving to her dog, Trouble. Because Leona's closest friend in her lonely last years was Trouble, she made sure that the little pup was well taken care of. She selected Carl Lekich, her longtime friend and the manager of one of the Helmsley's hotel properties, for the job. She made Lekich the executor of a $12 million trust fund for the care and keeping of trouble. The decision to leave such a significant amount of money to a dog earned Leona third place in Fortune magazine's 2007 article titled, 101 Dumbest Moments in Business. She was beat out by Mattel's recall of over 20 million toys and other products because of lead paint contamination and the FDA's decision to allow makers of dog products to put Prozac in treats for pups with separation anxiety. After it was made public that Trouble was worth $12 million, the dog and its new caretaker received several death threats. Lekich moved Trouble to Florida, where he used $100,000 annually on full-time security. Lekich collected a $60,000 annual guardianship fee. The rest of the money went to Trouble's care and grooming. Leona also arranged for another $5 million to go to a trust fund specifically for taking care of local shelter dogs. The original draft of Leona's will stated that a portion of the money was to be used to benefit people in need of financial assistance and to provide care for local dogs. However, before her death, Leona revised it to solely benefit the dogs. Leona also left a portion of the money to have her and Harry's mausoleum acid washed and steam cleaned once a year. Even in death, Leona expected pristine perfection. This behavior is congruent with the behavior Leona displayed through her entire life. It's best explained as something Dr. Susan Krauss Whitborn refers to as social comparison theory. Dr. Whitbourne defines her theory as the constant evaluation of ourselves in relation to other people to make ourselves feel socially superior. Leona wanted the most impressive resting place so she could position herself as someone to admire, even after her life ended. Dr. Whitbourne explains this type of behavior by stating that people who struggle with social comparison regard themselves as the center of the universe. They believe that everyone's attention is on them, and they feel pressure to live up to certain social standards they create for themselves to maintain superiority. To this day, the Helmsley Mausoleum is still one of the most impressive and well-kept in Sleepy Hollow Cemetery because of Leona's forethought to have it maintained regularly. The execution of the remaining items of her will was left to Leona's brother, Alvin Rosenthal, her grandsons, Walter and David Panzerer, one of her lawyers, Sander Frankel, and her business friend, John Cody. To her brother, Leona left $15 million. She even left $100,000 for her longtime chauffeur. 
Aside from the $4 billion she left her charity trust, the $5 million she left for animal welfare, and the $12 million she left specifically to her dog trouble, the remainder of the Helmsley's estate was much debated by two of Leona's four grandchildren, Walter and David. Walter and David were disgruntled because their grandmother had left them and their siblings out of the will completely. Her other two grandchildren seemed unaffected by their snub. None of the Panzero children were close to Leona, but Walter and David felt entitled to an inheritance. Leona and the Panzeros had a long-standing feud, so their omittance was most likely deliberate. Many believe the rift originated because Leona's late son, Jay, and his wife refused to name any of their children after Harry. The estranged relationship would only have worsened when Leona kicked Jay's wife and children out of their Helmsley-owned rental property following Jay's death. In a final jab meant to show that she'd excluded her grandchildren on purpose, Leona included a clause that stated if the grandchildren argued against her will and won, they would only be granted their inheritance if they visited their father's grave regularly after receiving the money. Before her death, she even arranged for a registration book to be set up at J. Panzerer's grave for the grandchildren to sign to prove they were stopping by. If Walter or David ever stopped the sojourns, they would be required to pay back the money they'd received to the Helmsley Trust. Perhaps Leona wanted Walter and David to be there for Jay in a way that she was not when her son was growing up. The grandsons had no problem with their grandmother's stipulation, but they had one more hurdle to jump before they would receive any of her money. They chose to argue with the court that the $12 million Leona left for trouble was an absurd amount of money to care for a dog. They believed the money should go to them instead, as the rest of the estate had already been divvied out per Leona's instructions. On June 16, 2008, nearly a year after Leona's death, Manhattan Judge Renee R. Roth reduced Trouble's trust from $12 million to $2 million. William and David were allowed to add the $10 million remainder to the rest of their inheritance, with the continued agreement that they honor Leona's wishes of visiting their father's grave. When all the money was distributed and the properties were sold, the publicity surrounding Leona's death slowed down. Leona and Harry faded into the background of New York news. Many of their more prominent properties were sold off to developers or other real estate moguls. This included the Empire State Building, which is currently owned by billionaire Anthony Malkin. The New York Helmsley Hotel was purchased in 2011 for $313.5 million and converted into the Weston New York Grand Central. Finally, Dunellen Hall, the property that led to Leona's imprisonment, sold in 2010 for $35 million, and it has been on and off the market since then. In addition to wearing the crown as the Queen of Mean, Leona Helmsley was an undeniably shrewd businesswoman and real estate mogul. Her ability to transcend the gender roles of her time and climb to the top of the real estate profession paved the way for many female heads of business. She broke through barriers at a time when there were no women leading the country's largest corporations. In addition to shattering a portion of the glass ceiling, her leadership influenced the heights that Harry Helmsley's real estate portfolio achieved. There's no arguing that Leona broke the law and cheated several good business partners, but perhaps she wasn't all bad. 
Her donations to the families of New York firefighters, animal welfare organizations, people affected by Hurricane Katrina in 2005, and medical research trusts have helped make countless lives better. Today, the Helmsley Charitable Trust is the 12th largest trust in the United States. Leona didn't care if she made friends so long as she was admired, or at least respected. Perhaps her colleague Stephen Spinola, the president of the Real Estate Board of New York, said it best. Quote, Leona gave everybody a chance to have strong feelings about her. Spinola also said, I was quite saddened by her loss, and unfortunately, her image uh, really doesn't coincide with uh, some of the wonderful things that she's done in her lifetime. When we remember Leona, should we think of her as the queen of mean, whose vanity and desire for power clouded her empathy? Or was she simply a woman ahead of her time, knowing what she wanted and pursuing it mercilessly, even if it meant twisting a few arms and breaking a few laws? Thanks again for listening to the conclusion of our two-part series on Leona Helmsley, the Queen of Mean. We'll be back Wednesday with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Female Criminals, as well as all of ParCast's other shows, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or your favorite podcast directory. Several of you have asked how to help us. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time. Female Criminals was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, with sound design by Paul Liebeskind. Production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Liebeskind. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Freddie Beckley. Female Criminals is written by Jordan Giddens and stars Sammy Nye and Vanessa Richardson.